welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell, uh, and we got my a good buddy, good buddy, good buddy, real very near. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us again, everybody. Uh, by the way, we do like little in-between chats that I've started putting up on uh, Patreon. Uh, people, I just tested it out. I didn't know if people would be interested in, in hearing kind of how we discuss how we're going to talk about the podcast, that kind of thing. And people really dug it. So not only can you get the video versions of the podcast on uh, uh, Patreon for uh, as low as a dollar a month, obviously, if you want to give us uh, more, that's fantastic. Uh, but I'm throwing that stuff up there as well. Uh, and we just had a fun little conversation with with a topic that, that may or may not get into this episode. I don't even know. Uh, but we got to, uh, uh, a friend of ours, Brad. Uh, it was kind of like, for me anyway, it was like a Twitter friend. Like, I have seen right. him on Twitter a bunch. Uh, he seems very cool. Apparently, he was having a discussion with uh, um, with Rio, and so we invited him on the podcast. But Brad, if you could please, you know, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of where you're at and how you got to where you're at in politics. Cool. Uh, so I'm a uh, Gen X guy from uh, South Florida. Well, living in South Florida, originally from Texas and Oklahoma, uh, actually started my professional career out managing political campaigns uh, for Democrats and um, have been heatedly involved in politics for quite a while, um, but no longer work in that field. Now I um, advise and guide startups and uh, have two startups with my partners here in the in the tech and primarily in the crypto field you and i i think connected uh, on the yen side of things yep awesome so, sauce and you're doing cool stuff on the tech side as well so we try we yeah. try yeah um all right so uh rio what uh what do you want to talk about uh so i'm thinking of calling the episode plenty of brain plenty of blame uh easy for me to say um yeah because brett brett and i were chatting about uh, you know, this problem of cynicism and apathy and the sense that both parties are the same and therefore you shouldn't even bother to vote and all of that stuff. And he has, um, he, uh, he articulated pretty strongly a partisan narrative, um, which I don't mean to say in order to like, you know, poison the well or anything. It's just, you know, it is a partisan narrative and I think there is some truth to it um, that Republicans actually actively cultivated that apathy and cynicism and intentionally um, tried to persuade a lot of voters that there was no difference between the parties in order to drive down voter turnout among people on the political left. So I wanted to have a conversation with him about that and then kind of broaden the conversation a little bit more and say, say like, is there anywhere else um, where the blame, there's blame to go around? To what extent are the Democrats complicit in that strategy? Did they benefit from it at all? And, um, and also specifically the far left, which I consider to be left of the Democrats. Um, what role did they, they play in that concept? Great. You want me to yeah, start? Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, Go Brad, I, mean, I just want to say, like, I, the, I'm definitely sensitive to the argument that you're making, but maybe get, give us some examples that you can think of so we can sort of chew into to, uh, some specifics. Well, I mean, I think my, the foundations for my, my thoughts on this are that the, you know, you can typically find the person who benefits the most from a strategy um, is usually where you can find it, you know, the origination of that strategy. And from my perspective, you know, the Republican demographics have been shrinking, the Republican issue uh, preference uh, among the American population in general uh, is shrinking. And I think that it, it's in their best interest to dissuade people from voting. And it's in their best interest to make people think that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are all the same. It's all a bunch of corrupt people. Now, most people would say, well, why would, why would Republicans want people to think that they are also just kind of corrupt and bad politicians? And I think, obviously, they don't necessarily want that to happen, but it's easier to lump and make the argument more persuasive if everybody is. And then it gives people a choice between whatever the hot button emotional issue is that is most important to them that the Republicans are actually um, focusing on. So whether it be guns, pro-choice, pro-life, whatever it is, it makes it much easier for them to focus on hot button topics that people are passionate about than in fact voting against your own best interests by voting Republican. Hey, you know what voting against your own self-interest is like? What's that? Shooting yourself in the dick with a bazooka. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I need to formally file an apology with my co-host because I am going to do that every show now. Okay. I feel bad, 
not bad enough to change, but but bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I think just just to to break in before Rio gets a chance here too, like I I I think that's just absolutely right. But I wonder sort of if it's if it's less uh, an organized and intentional thing and more an outcropping of if you're very very bad the only thing that you really have left is to say that the other side is all, all also bad, right? right? Like, for example, and I'm sure we've all seen this, right? We try to explain to people that Donald Trump lies more times than there are grades of sand on the fucking beach. And then, like, a very common response is, yeah, but all politicians lie. And then, of course, I actively shoot myself in the face with a bazooka because there's no point to living anymore because that's a dumb argument, right? Yes. But like, like, just to try and not be so hyperbolic for five seconds if I can, <laughs> um, and I'm not promising anything. Like, just, just basically suggesting that it's less an organized strategy and more an outgrowth of being specifically fucking terrible and not having any other options to survive in politics. And I, and I would give that, I, I would definitely give that argument, yeah, the credence, but I actually um, think that Republicans are brilliant at psychological persuasion and manipulation. And I have no, no doubt um, that someone along the way said, let's make them all corrupt and we'll feed that out and make that part of the argument, right? And then it becomes part of the societal argument. You know, I can always count on the people saying they're all corrupt first or either, for the most part, far left or Republicans in general saying everyone is corrupt. It may have just kind of happened, you know, uh, in an evolutionary way, but I really would give Republicans complete credit for saying this is a strategy we should be pursuing because I think they're just really, really damn good at, at this stuff. So Well, and they, you're right. Like, I don't know if they're, they're good at it but, or if it's essential, right? Because that's basically their only argument. Sure. Yeah. They're not arguing really for too many policies except like God's guns and fucking being assholes. Like that, like it seems like that, you know, the, the, that's the sort of trifecta of what they actually want to produce in the world. And it's so obnoxiously against what, what the, 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 the polling averages are in the United States yep. that they have to do exactly what you said. Like, they, they don't yeah. really have any choice but to say, I agree. pox on everyone's houses. Yeah, the Democrats are horrible. It's basically like where we talk about projection and transference all the time, right? Yep. Like, Donald Trump literally calling the left Nazis uh, because what else is he going to do except admit that he's a white nationalist piece of shit, which, of course, rhymes with uh, Nazis. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. What do you think, Rio? Okay, yeah, there's a lot to, to get into there. Um, yeah, so it sounds to me like your argument, uh, which again, I, I largely agree with, um, is that this cultivating of apathy and cynicism and both parties are the same and all politicians are bad was uh, really um, just a side effect of the Southern strategy, right? Makes That's kind of what I'm hearing because you're saying, because then you, you, you followed it up with, saying that, um, you know, once they've persuaded the public that all politicians are bad um, and that you can't really rely on government to solve any real problems, then it's easy enough to just get people to focus on the wedge issues. Um, and we, we, we did a, a while back a whole episode of the podcast about wedge issues and how um, they're very effective tools for distracting people from the broader conversation about the direction that the country should go in terms of policy. Yeah. So I, I, I've already admitted many times on the podcast that the Republicans did use um, the Southern strategy. Um, I record as having always thought it was a stupid short-sighted strategy because I was worried that it was going to backfire on the party in the way that it exactly did, right? Yeah, right. They went from pandering to theocratic imbeciles to just letting the theocratic imbeciles totally take over the party to the point now where real conservative values are getting exactly zero attention um, within the party. And it's all just about this alt-right hostility to free trade and these attacks upon democracy and the rule of law, all in service to cheating so that they can force their theocratic worldview upon the rest of America in a way that is not conservative, but is actually regressing to a time before the Bill of Rights. So all of that was a predictable um, consequence of the Southern strategy. So I, I agree that 
you know, they, they did it, right? Obviously not, you know, we're, we're speaking very broadly, not sure. every single member of the Republican Party. I, for one, never supported it, right? <laughs> but right. Um, but there, there are lots of people um, um, who did, and it, it, was, it was dominant narrative. And it's the reason, it's one of the reasons that we have Donald Trump now, because Donald Trump, instead of pandering to the populist base, he just handed the reins of the party off to them. Yeah. Like they're in charge of the party now. Right, absolutely. No, I got I mean, one of the things I talk about all the time to, to far left folks is if there's anything you should fear about helping Donald Trump stay in office, it's the theocratic judges that this man is appointing because of the long-term impact on it. And um, I, I, that's usually the only argument that I can get through to people saying it's all the same, right? Is this is probably the most terrifying thing. I know you want to burn the whole house down, but that part of the house will still be up and functional, even when you think you're going to burn down the entire house. It's just not going to happen. So, well, it's, and it's, it gets, you know, you get more of a fascist police state the more burn and burn it down and you get, right? <laughs> so, like, true. like that, it's, it's, it's a natural reaction from whatever, you know, whoever is, is giving orders to uh, uh, the police stations or the army in sure. any country, right? And I'm sure we could find a million examples of this. Where you know that becomes the the uh, uh, the sort of knee jerk reaction, unless you really do have like a full on you know uh, the entire population uprising as a cohesive unit, uh, uh, you know to 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 overthrow Which an actual tyrannical government. Right, yeah, not yeah. not here. No, I mean that's not where that's not where we live, right? I mean, we shouldn't yeah. say it'll never happen because I mean honestly, like ten years under mm -hmm. an actual theocratic. Uh, government and, and that might not be the case, right? Like yeah. that, <laughs> like, like things things could be a billion times worse than they are right now. So I want to broaden the conversation now a little bit and talk about to what extent the Democrats might have been complicit into that in that, and um, and then we can go into the area on the far left. Um, so the area where I see some complicity in the Democratic Party, um, <laughs> I'm still talking critically about my own side, or you know. In the case of uh, the Republican of Party, the Never Trump conservatives um, um, are kind of my people. And in the Democratic Party, I like the sort of blue dog, conservative, um, fiscally conservative Democrats. And so that coalition um, was able to use, um, was able to benefit from the, the Southern strategy and from the intentional dividing of the working class um, using wedge issues. Um, and I was like, I didn't support the strategy, but I was in favor of the outcome of that. I liked the fact that whether the Democrat or the Republican won, in both cases, it was still my side, the economic right wing that was in control. Um, but what we're seeing now is, you know, decades of some members of both parties benefiting from that narrative, um, leading to an actual populist, populist in the White House. Um, and that's the problem. Um, so rather than pandering to populace all this time, my argument was we should have been just making a good faith argument for right wing economic values to the pop to, to the people. And if, you know, if the people didn't agree with it, then we deserve to lose. Right. And that's the way democracy is supposed to work. And this um, so I, I, I blame the individual populace themselves, the voters, which I think you're right to say are basically only Trump supporters and far left at this point. But I also blame any elites who are willing to cynically take advantage of the, that and the use of wedge issues and, and apathy and cynicism. Like it might have been more popular if elites had actually bothered to make a good faith argument for it. I believe in that worldview. And so I wish they had. Yeah. And I look, I think that uh, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I think Democrats were um, some segment of Democrats were responsible for that um, and and leapt on the opportunity when they saw it. I, I think it initiated with the Southern strategy in the Republican Party, but I definitely think that Republic, uh, Democrats said, well, wait a minute, this is working. Let's, let's get this, right? And that, and that can work the other direction too, the wedge issues that, that make liberals uh, go crazy and, and support particular candidates. So I think, mm -hmm. that, I think that Democrats figured it out after the Republicans were still winning races they shouldn't be winning. You know, um, and what, real quick on the, what's interesting to me, one of the things that's interesting to me about the, the, the Republican shift to this, to theocratically controlled populist thing is that I really felt, I've always felt like 
economically, Republicans were making incredible progress in moving public opinion on taxes and fiscal responsibility and all of those things. Um, and then just completely just blew that away. I mean, they still pull it out, right? The tax issue is always the one that, that, that they still pull out and they still utilize, but they were making this progress as a party for this conservative economic stance and have kind of just jumped all in on where they are with the populist and the theocratic ag. Well, they couldn't make that. You can't make the argument that tax breaks are fantastic to people who aren't paying taxes. Right. Right. Oh, of course. So, so, I mean, th there, that was always going to be diminishing returns because your effective tax rate, if you're rich is really close to nothing anyway. Right. Like that. And, and so it really is only going to benefit people that are my estimation of rich Rio's estimation of lower middle class. <laughs> um, okay. but you know what I mean like like so they 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 needed to create a coalition that would sure. allow them to keep uh, uh, getting tax breaks and becoming richer and therefore have more power if so yada 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 right Absolutely. and the the low hanging fruit were the gullible people quite frankly and there is a high correlation between uh, uh, new age in no way resembling Jesus Christians uh, and racist assholes for gullibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that the Southern strategy was actually something that happened because after um, Reagan, um, you know, swept the Electoral College, the Democratic Party through the Clintons and such made a conscious decision to actually move the party right on economic issues. Um, um, so the Southern strategy started before Nixon. Well, no, I, 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 I you can find attempts to win over the south using social issues prior to this but it was what made, what made this made it so that the republican party had really no choice strategically but to double and triple down on the southern strategy was the fact that the democratic party did move right under the clintons and so if you think about oh, it once you, okay. once you once that's, you have two parties that are both um you know for for a window there are both relatively economically right wing um, then the Republicans, you know, if you think about it, like if they, if they were just like principled um, economic conservatives like myself, they would have said, oh, this is great. Now the opponent is also right wing. Like we should let them win a little bit more. Let's give, let's reward them for moving right. And that's actually what a lot of principled mm. conservatives did. They became swing voters. They said, you know, like Andrew Sullivan publicly has said, like, I was happy to vote for Bill Clinton the first time because I wanted to um, reward the Democratic Party for moderating itself um, and for, for being less radical. But instead, unfortunately, partisan party politics prevailed over principle. Should I say that 12 times fast? <laughs> Partisan party politics prevailed over principle. And what I'm happened, surprised what, you could say it twice. What Who happened? I, I can't believe I got it out the first time. I was going to say, like, I couldn't even think it in, in not. It's a, it's a kudos there. Um, and, and so, but, but, but like, it, it, you know, it, maintaining power for the party was actually clearly more important to them than standing up for the actual right-wing economic values they're supposed to be standing up for, they weren't willing to work with the other side. They had to keep demonizing the other side because just winning at politics became the goal in and of itself rather than doing so in order to achieve a specific economic vision. Um, and and, and that, that kind of sick, twisted partisan thinking um, is, 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 is why the party started to move away from economically right-wing values. Um, and started pandering to populists. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of blame to go around, but I actually agree with you that I think that the Republicans have been the worst offenders there out of the two major parties. The other area where I think there's a ton of blame is on the far left, by which I mean people who are significantly to the left of the actual Democratic Party. Um, and those people were saying that the two parties are the same and they've been saying it for a long time. And that's because anything short of authoritarian socialism for some of those people is apparently they can't tell that apart from Nazism. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like a, right. a center right capitalist and a Nazi to them, they can't tell the difference between those two things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So I get can called you speak a capitalist that? all I mean, the time. As, like as it's a supposed Democrat to be a dirty yourself. word. Yeah. As a Democrat yourself, Brad, could you speak to the <laughs> frustration of dealing with that? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I get called a capitalist all the time, like it's a dirty word. So, you know, um, I've always found that that interesting when they go, well, you're just a stinking capitalist. And it's like, 
Yes. I showered like five <laughs> minutes ago, bro. <laughs> exactly. You know what's interesting about what you said there is, um, I wonder where you think, just real, sorry, I know you asked me a question, but I wonder where you think in time the Republican Party just jumped off that cliff. I mean, because it was, it was, you know, was it, was it post Bill Clinton Jr. or was it, was it not until Trump that they really fully jumped off the cliff? I would say that there, you know, the Republican Party has been losing economically right-wing conservatives, especially those who are more socially progressive with the small p, right? Right. At least, so if you're if you're economically right wing, you believe in low taxes and free trade and low regulation, et cetera. Um, but you also think that your fellow Americans should be able to get married to the person they want to get married to, right? Right. Then the Democratic Party was pretty appealing to you for some time, and that went back before before Trump. And in fact, actually, Brad, you brought this interesting point up, which is that you know the Democratic Party also benefited from some wedge issues, and um, LGBT rights was one of them. Sure. And, you know, I remember conversations um, happening, uh, political strategy conversations happening when, where, when the uh, Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex marriage, um, a lot of people in the Democratic Party were worried about the fact that that meant that they had now lost a wedge issue. And that right. a, a lot of LGBT people who are more economically right-wing would now feel more comfortable voting for a Republican because right. that's been taken off the table. Right. So the, the, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely, I mean, politics is dirty. You know, there's, sure. <laughs> there's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, but yeah, can you talk specifically? Oh, no, I want to finish answering your question. I'm sorry. So no, I don't think there was a single point where they just jumped off the cliff. But I think that they had, the party had relatively managed to suppress the populist movement um, up until Trump. Prior to that, they would give them a little bit here and there. Right. But they were definitely... You know, that if you talk to somebody on the alt-right, their rage and hatred of the liberal Republican establishment is visceral, right? right and right. that's for a reason, because for a while, the party really was pretty good at saying, like, just do your job and vote for us, and maybe we'll give you, a, a, you know, a piece of candy. But, like, <laughs> shut up. Uh, yeah, Trump, Trump, Trump uh, just handed the party off to some of the worst people in America, which is not in the interest of... of the Republican Party long-term. Which or again, the, of the, the Republican Party had been cultivating a, 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 as their base for- Fully acknowledged. I always thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, and like you said, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like nobody could see where it was going to end up, especially as the yeah. demographics started changing in the country. But at the same time, when you're in that position, you're the guy in elected office wanting to hang on to your base and be the nominee and and- running for your seat you're not going to give it up you know it's like right. it's like a drug you guys, rem you guys remember when when mccain lost there was and of course he lost to obama who was like 10 times the candidate and you know like historic and all that stuff right like so like you know the fact that it was close i think is a testament to mccain especially considering he picked a stark raving fucking clown as a vice president <laughs> um but they, they, they did this, this sort of come to Jesus moment where they hired a bunch of smarty pants people in the mm -hmm. Republican Party to basically do a postmortem and say, like, what did we do wrong? And they came back and they said, like, court Latinx people mm -hmm. uh, and, and basically, like, don't be racist assholes. That, like, that was, like, that was it was it. 10 pages long. But that yeah. was the whole thing, right? Like, there's no mm -hmm. reason for us to be exclusionary in this way. Why don't we just, like, broaden our tent? Because there, there really are, like, conservative uh, uh, you know, Spanish-speaking people and and conservative African Americans and like like there there there's crossover there, you know. If you can if you can control your white nationalist base, and the resounding answer to that was go fuck yourself from like the that, base from, from the, the base of the yeah, party. Like yeah. it, it went away in less than a week worth of news, right? Yeah, you yeah. never heard about it again, um, which I found really really compelling. And honestly, the, the entire like I think to the when did they sort of jump off the cliff thing? the entire Rush Limbaugh era through the Obama administration and Joe Walsh, who like I praise every once in a while, but you know, you have a lot more to atone for than just fucking hating Trump, right? Like it, like the, the, the right wing media machine over that eight years just lost his fucking mind. They went completely crazy because they basically had to invent a bunch of stuff about the black guy to keep doing the negative news hits. 
every well, afternoon. You get the, so, look, you get, the, oh, the, you get that revenue. You're not going to let that revenue go when, when you have, you know, 35, 40% of the population willing to tune in over and over again and buy right. the shit the advertisers yep. are selling. So, yep. well, yeah, no, that's the problem that Corey and I keep running into because our audience grows and then we piss off like 10% of them. And it grows a little <laughs> more. But, I mean, I, I, I like to believe that in the long term we'll have a more loyal audience base because yeah. they will know that we are not pandering to anybody. Like, it comes across as sincere that I think that makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah, if we, could, if we could just get 10% of the population that was like just really overeducated and, and, and wanting to desperately do the hard work of creating a, a culture of consensus building around sort of in the middle, and I hate that phrase, but like just, there, there are people that, that are willing to come together to actually work on things. Um, and again, it's going to take us probably 30 years, but I think that would be, that would be worth doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, it's funny I, because you're going to see the same problem in the Democratic Party. I, I have a friend that ran for multiple seats here in, in South Florida and then eventually ended up a, a state rep. And she was the DCCC's congressional, one of the DCCC's picks uh, when she ran for Congress. And she asked me to get on a call with the consultants that they were hiring on this woman's behalf running for office. And this was 2014. Yeah, 2014, no, 2016, I'm sorry, uh, 2016. And um, I got on the phone with them and I said, well, are you identifying and segmenting people on issue topics that are important to them? And I always give this example, but the example of there's 62 million fishermen in this country. They often are seen as right-wing, far-right, gun-toting conservatives. But did you know that they're hardcore environmentalists? And that there are issues that you can pull out of these people that may convince them, a small fraction of them, to make the difference. And there was absolutely, I mean, this is just Democratic consultants. They all suck. But the, the, the bottom line was nobody was hearing that. And then I had a call last year with someone who's high up in the Democratic fund, fundraising establishment and was asking about that similar concept of that strategic, you know, picking people out in, in, within the power of social media to say, hey, let's target these things that we align with people so they can start realizing that they're actually more Democrats than they are Republican. Um, and the answer was, yeah, you know, we do a little advertising to fishermen, but we're, we're not getting very far with them, right? But, but it's just was the example, it wasn't the strategy. And there was a point to why I was telling you all this. And so I think that, that, yeah, the consultants thing where, and, and I think there, there is a danger to get calcified in the, the, the way that the Democrat, like the way the machine works, right? Yeah, it's a mess. Some, some really justifiable, uh, um, you know, ways to criticize that. My favorite thing to do when I ever, I got, I was connected with the Democratic Party in uh, uh, Pasco County, Florida, um, and Greg, actually, Brad, I need to have you on coffee now because exactly what you described, they, they made a huge movement to outlaw uh, net fishing uh, along the, uh, the Gulf Coast, right? And, right. and uh, Greg was a huge part of that. And he remembers it as this gigantic bipartisan thing that, that actually did have a, a net effect, pun intended, uh, <laughs> retroactively, on politics in the, in the area for a long time, right? So like, it, right. It, like this has knock-on effects down the road. But I would urge everyone to go listen to both seasons of the wilderness. It was done by the uh, the, the Pot Save America uh, uh, people, John Favreau uh, and and his team went out and did a bunch of polling to find out why the fuck we lost uh, for the first season. Um, and what they came back with was incredible and and like literally led to winning in 2018 uh, in the Congress because a lot of, like anywhere they took what they said what they found to heart, they won every yeah. time. Yeah, incredible. And this next season was was basically you know. Uh, 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 post that and sort of how to move things forward into uh, uh, you know into the general like they're they're doing the work on the ground to 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 discover the ways to create new new coalitions exactly the way that you're talking about so the people like within the Democratic Party and granted starting a, a new media empire uh, with the the, the positive people that I think is only going to be more powerful five years from now than less so. Yeah, you know, there's people working on it in a positive way, but yeah, like the consultants, like if you get referred a consultant for the DCCC, just like, just nod and smile while just, listening to yeah. the wilderness. Send me the, the check, background. I'll pick the people. Because it's, it's a, me I mean, well, it's the incentives, Terrible. right? It's capitalism. Yeah. It, it, the incentives are wrong. The incentives are you make a commission on the ads you book on cable and television. 
So what are you going to do? You're going to book ads on cable and television. You have no incentive to hire people that are experts at psychological persuasion and targeting. You, you don't have any incentives for that. Round game. Ex exactly. You get hired yeah, over and over again doing. and you're making millions off the ad buys. Yeah. Just imagine if Hillary had hired Obama's team instead of all of the consultants that spent a billion and a half dollars on TV. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, hell, even Andrew Yang's consultants. I mean, you know, generic advertisements, when you have a incredibly unique candidate, it was, it was painful to watch. So. All right. So I want to talk about the far left a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, you, you kind of, <laughs> kind of didn't go too far down that rabbit hole yet, Brad. Um, so I guess out. like as somebody who, who, you know, got started um, in political campaigns and you're still doing um, consultancy work, although you've moved it more into the private sector now, um, do you think that there is any benefit to be had in this political environment where so many conservatives are being turned off by Trump? Um, even if it's just five or 10% of former Republican voters who are now never Trump, um, don't you think that there might be some benefit to the Democratic Party welcoming them in? And how beneficial in practice really is having the radical far left part of the coalition? Or do they do more harm than good by, um, due to association, especially since often they don't actually vote when push comes to shove anyway? Yeah, um, I would welcome uh, Never Trumpers into the party. And because I think that the party needs to be pulled uh, in those, I, I think having both sides of the spectrum makes for a better party, right? It makes like for better policy. It makes for better consensus. So I'm absolutely cool with that. And the, the, all, as the term I use is all left. I, I have I, no idea. What I, I, I think is. that's a great term. I'm fine with that. But uh, but, define that because I think I agree with you, but I think that that might be a fun term oh. to like, because again, like if I could, if I could guess, right? Yeah. Like if there was an alt left, it's, it's the people that are trying to, you know, uh, uh, make owning property illegal. Yes. Um, right. It's, it's the people, like anyone in the burn it down, uh, uh, the whole burn it down group, right? Look, like that's like, that you're not fucking helping at all. The ones who are gone all the way back around to being Trump apologists. And I, you know, the Glenn Greenwald. Dude, I've seen the, that too. The, fucking Glenn Green. I retweeted that motherfucker a week ago. I'm like, what are, what are you, what, what are you are doing? doing? <laughs> he drives me up a fucking wall. I, I deleted the same tweet five times back to him today because I was ready to kill him. Man. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't engage him. And then his followers, right? Um, so yeah, I put it all there, right? And I don't, they're not Democrats to me and I don't want them. And, and yeah. they don't vote like Rio said, they don't vote. And so go, go find a way to burn down the house. Look, we're going to do, we're going to figure out how to get ranked choice voting in, I think. And I think it's happening more and more. North Dakota's got it on the ballot now. So oh, I didn't know get, that. That's awesome. It happened today. Um, you'll get your shot. You'll get your shot, right? But nobody's going to vote for you anyway. So keep That's your 10 like, to 15%, right. burn down the house attitude. We'll be over here, like running the country. You and know? seriously, and, the only time we're ever going to interact with them is on Twitter. <laughs> right which is why like like it's what and, and i started doing this the more the more people get into the whole like burn it down third party vote whatever like yeah good thing none of you motherfuckers vote at all exactly because you don't exactly right so yeah. if, if yang had a shot as a third party he probably would have done better than five percent in a fucking open primary in the democratic uh, primary <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah no, i i um it makes me really happy to hear you say that brad because um you know the, the problem is uh, radicals um, always benefit from persuading the public that the only alternative is another extreme. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and so I feel like Trump and the alt-right are going to try as hard as possible to associate the democratic party with the alt-left in yeah. your terminology. Right. Yeah. And I, and, well, and the, even inventing it where it doesn't exist. Right. I mean, well, like his, certainly, his speech but, with the Antifa thing and all this other nonsense, like none of that shit is even real. Like but that's the a, thing, there's a guy. honestly, yeah, but the, the thing that, um, that does the most good there is for the party and for the party leaders to explicitly denounce it. Yeah. That's what I want to see more of. I think that yeah. would be a smart strategy. I think it absolutely does. I mean, they were trotting it out today. Biden did a thing about, he changed the words from all men created equal to all people are created equal. And the first thing out of the Trump team is, 
He's trying to rewrite the most important foundational document because of all the crazy uh, leftists on the left trying to get him to tear down but the here's country. here's the thing. And it's like, we can, okay, what, nobody's buying that's a, that shit. Yeah, but that's right, though. Right? For Biden right. to do that in this moment, of course, it's going to match with like 70% of the country. Exactly. So we do need to understand, like, while, you know, because it's real, there's, and there's, and I, I think I've actually seen, uh, it might have been you, brother, did this, like the little defund the police thing. Like, people are really oh, upset right. about that. And also, like, I don't give a shit. I really don't. People hated Black Lives Matter in exactly the same way, right? right? But it's, it's designed to get under your skin. And are they going to go after it? Yes. But the number of people that are going to transition because of that is zero. Well, I is. hope you're right. I hope you're right. If for, for me, it's just bad marketing, right? You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with it. You, you went from a 30% approval rating for Black Lives Matter prior to George Floyd and the protests to a yep. 70, 71% approval rating, no yep. matter what happened in the protests. And what's the first thing you do from a messaging perspective? You come out and use a term that means take away the funding of the police. When you have you, the only way these reforms happen is if local politicians say, holy shit, I have to do this. And look, 71% of the public agrees. But if you use a term like defund, you are going to scare some of those old white people into thinking you're going to get rid of the police department. There's, and I hope you're right. It doesn't change the percentages and I'm wrong, yeah. but it's just dumb marketing. It's just I, I, stupid I get your, marketing. Yeah. I get it's your fear. Allocate mental health. You know, there's a million yeah. terms you can use to make people go, yeah, I'm for that. Instead of what you want to what, you know, and that that's what bothered me. Yeah. No, I, like from a strictly from a marketing in this moment and yes. only this moment yeah. uh, perspective, I get it in the same way that I got exactly the same criticism around the black lives matter uh, uh, movement yeah. when that first showed up. Right. Oh my God, why don't you say, you know, stop police brutality or whatever, right? Well, it's because it's, it's bigger than that. And so I think like having, having those things in there, like I, I will admit without a doubt, there will be some negative consequences to that. Right. But I think even in this moment, there are like with a 70% approval rating of the Black Lives Matter movement now, which is fucking insane. Like that, right. let's just put that out there. Right. That's nuts. Right. Right. I, I, we're, while some, you know, uh, pasty white people that can't read might, you know, be not curious and not realize what is meant by that. That's definitely a possibility. There's going to be a certain number of those. I think even more people will be like me and be like, well, what you can't mean like get rid of the police department. What do you actually mean? And you do like five seconds worth of Googling and you realize what they mean is to reallocate it because people are sending cops out for, everything right? right somebody's having like a mental mental health breakdown they basically yeah. arrest and sometimes shoot the guy by accident right right oh except not no i mean everybody who gets killed by the police is resisting arrest uh <laughs> which is the dumbest thing ever said in the english language by my friend rio by far okay moving my understanding is that only about my understanding is that only about 50 of the people who were killed in police shootings on an average year did not have a weapon so, you know, like the, 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 my, my, main, my main point there was just that we need a lot of reforms to the police department. Um, but when people automatically assume that, you know, because something shows up in a video on Twitter, that that characterizes 98% of the police department, when in reality it characterizes 0.0001% of the police department, that kind of mass hysteria is not productive. This right, is, but this here's is, what I the think police... why I freaked out. This is why I freaked out so much, Brad. Please, please remember yeah, what you're talking about. It, it's it's not that small, and it's because it's indicative of a systemic culture that is brutal, especially if you happen to have a really, really good tan, right? So, like, it's all part of a pattern that that uh, yeah. uh, that just cannot be denied, and it's the whole movement. That's the that's all why we're here. That's why it's not police brutality, or why it's not cops, you know, shoot unarmed people sometimes. It's Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and here's what the cops did to screw it up, right? So they adopted for the protests a specific set of tactical rules. I don't know who writes the book, but every one of them had the friggin' book. Make believe, take a knee, look like you're supportive, set a curfew, you know, like two hours before the curfews ended, and then violently attack the protesters so that you can incite violence and it looks like they're all bad and we gain the upper hand as the police department. 
was a really bad move this time around because what happened is in the images of all of those people sitting at home still trying to figure out what they thought of all this, there's cops beating the hell out of people peacefully protesting, just validating everything about the message that came across, right? So yeah. again, bad strategy, bad marketing. And, and it, it's important humanism. to- Exactly. It's important to go into the pragmatic rule set changes that, that need to happen. And again, everywhere where you see, and I've been making fun of, of the very like long, you know, well, Biden's uh, uh, policy reform thing or whatever, right? It's defund the police, but just with lots of what, what happens after that, yeah. which is the really important part, well, right? But, but, important, but, like, in New York did this as well. New York cut a billion dollars of police funding, but they didn't burn a billion dollars and put it into nothing. They put it into uh, uh, supported communities so that you could basically just have, you know, uh, this being done by peaceful means because cops aren't trained uh, to, to handle, you know, mental health care or family uh, uh, disputes or, you know, the, the upteen thing that they've been getting sent into where they just had no business being sent into those things, right? Yeah, um, I agree. And uh, fuck the police unions. Go on. Well, to try to keep it on topic, um, <laughs> yeah, I think Brad brought up the defund the police as an example of bad um, branding. And I think he's right. Biden, when he was asked about it, said he did not support that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's just, it sounds more radical than it actually is, which is a useful way to convince radicals to vote for you. But there aren't that many radicals. And every time that for every radical that you can get to vote for you, you're going to lose 10 moderates. Who nothing ever got sold with nuance. <laughs> I got to push yeah. back that no, a little nothing bit. Ever, I, never, nothing yeah. ever got sold with nuance. And I just saw data yesterday. 59% of black voters oppose defunding the police department. There you go. So that's a strategically dangerous place for Biden to be. And he was, you're no, right. He made the right call. He made the right call. I wanted to push back a little bit on that just because I think there's some, 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 some area to be a little bit nuanced about it, but I, I do completely and totally agree that Biden made the right call. Because uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Trump is fucking president, and we got to be a little smarter about this. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I always take these things from the perspective of we are we we've gone from a you know 15 minute attention span to probably five to 10 second attention span, and all political advertising is supposed to be targeted at a at a third grade education, and the reason for that is digesting it and getting the message across, and if your message is not simple and clean and clear, like, you know, pro-life, don't take my guns away. Um, and things like use words like defund, you risk losing that. And, and the thing that bothered me most about it was, you know, I have this friend on Facebook who sent me all these articles about how I'm a white splaining middle-class white guy doesn't know how to understand what black people are going through. And I said, I've said a million times, I don't know what it's like to be a black man in America. That is irrelevant. Black Lives Matter owns America right now or owned it a couple of weeks ago and they had all of this incredible power like the most power they are ever going to have is an organization and that's what bothered me the most about it was just leverage it and do it the right way and you'll get everything you want everything interestingly want. enough in a lot of places they are getting exactly that i hope so um, and i think and they'll get it in all the big cities you know yeah but i, I also I, want them the to mayors get it. that are doing it i, I agree i want to get i want them to get it in homestead florida and i want them to Fuck get it in you know everywhere yeah. So, I, I so it's a so it's a good example of the of an area where the alt left, by which I mean the people who actually do want to abolish the police department, right? Right. There, there are right. some people like that, and the and and to Brad's point, it's you know understandable that some people who don't pay a lot of attention to the details of politics, low information voters, which is most of them, right, mm -hmm. could just assume that means abolish the police department. And, right. and, and so there, there's, there's the PR thing there. And so that, that does tie into your point. And I, I really, again, really makes me happy to hear you talking about, you know, as a part of the left, but not the alt left, it makes me happy to hear you say that, you know, the party needs to explicitly denounce some of the more radical um, elements of the, what I call the alt, far left, what you call the alt left. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just semantics. I, we're talking about the same problem. Well, and my motivation is I don't want to give Trump anything. Yeah, I don't want Biden to debate Trump. I don't want Biden to have anything to oh, do with Trump. I, do. I don't. I, I want to let Trump destroy himself. And, and I don't and want to right give that him he, a leg right up or an attack yeah. vector. I don't want it. I just want to let him die. I'm, I'm sensitive to that. I think Biden would surprise in a debate. Oh, I think he'll do because fine. 
I, is I Trump is a target-rich environment, right? Yeah, like, of that, course. Like, they, like, and honestly, I don't think Trump will debate. I think he will cancel and like call his mom so. or whatever it is. Um, because yeah, I mean, like all he has to say, like, uh, yeah, 200,000, by the time the debate shows up, 200,000 dead people and you could have solved it and everybody told you how to solve it. And yeah. then whatever Trump says next, you fucking lie all the time. And also Russia is killing our people for money, right? Like they, well, just so repeat Brad, that over and over again. I think so Brad, Biden, I think Biden would, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rio. Oh no, please finish your thought. And then I, I, I think Biden would do great. But here's the thing, a two and a half hour debate, there's, you only need one gaffe to destroy your campaign. And, so, well, and, and look at the numbers with Biden in the basement. Look at the numbers with no events, no talking, letting Trump destroy himself, letting his I, well, ads run. Those and, numbers are great. I love all those numbers and here's why. The 30% of the people that, that, that are, are around that or even the people that, that are compelled by it or whatever, that we're not going to get them. We were never going to get them. And Biden is up by 10 fucking points nationally. Yeah. And if you look at the swing states that Trump no, won, like. yeah. we're winning all of them, all by, of them. except for one by five points or more. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's obviously, amazing. don't sit on your laurels and everyone fucking go volunteer, blah, 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 blah. Right. He's going to try and steal it. We know that. Right. But like, I, like that's the, the really messed up thing about everything that Biden's doing. Because like, if you go back to the, you know, the early moving forward podcasts and Basically, like everything that I said in the morning on coffee, I was shitting on Biden hard, hard. <laughs> like there was no way he was possibly going to win. And he is a gaff machine, you know, because yeah. again, in the world before Trump, he was a gaff machine, right? He would say silly, weird things or whatever. Never mind that, that uh, you know, he's obviously a good politician, was a great partner for Barack Obama, I think is a genuinely good person, blah, 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 which say dumb shit. Right. Right. And so, but I did like in this era, like he's been good. He has been proving me completely wrong at every step yeah. with everything that he's doing. I so like, I like signing on to the whole, this is what Biden should do department. I'm just like, kind of not doing it anymore. Cause what the fuck do I know? It's, it's <laughs> well, I always tell Keep people, doing that. I always tell people, I didn't think there was a way in hell that Donald Trump could become president. So don't take anything I say as gospel. That's for sure. I second this. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, while we have somebody with professional experience advising political campaigns, um, I agree with you, Brad. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, like you said, a, a, you know, a 10 second gaffe being run on TV for the entire election is much worse and way more people are going to see that than are going to watch a two and a half hour long debate, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, um, you know, the, the conventional wisdom I understand is that the person who is down in the polls is the one who wants to have more debates. Yep. Um, so if there is a situation where Trump is going to want to have those debates, that would probably be why, because he is down right now. He His definitely Trump wants is, that moment. Yeah. yeah. The Trump campaign is being told is, I'm sorry. The Trump campaign is saying that they haven't had a chance to define Biden yet. Yeah. Um, so maybe don't give him one. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I'm, he signed I'm on for three on debates, and he's not yeah, going to he change did. his mind. So yeah, that, I agree. That's going to happen. I agree. Uh, yeah, I tweeted the other day that that Biden should should say, uh, "I've decided I will not debate Donald Trump until he apologizes to the troops for not doing anything about the Russians attempting to assassinate them, and I will not debate a traitor to our troops in our country, and pull out of all the debates." And Donald, you can't go anywhere with that. Donald can't apologize because he's admitting that he screwed up and you can't talk about it because if you talk about it, you're making it the news again, right? You're getting everybody examined. That's, uh, that's vicious and I like it and Biden won't do it. No, he won't. His version of vicious is like, Trump just let 130,000 people die. That's despicable. Entirely true but there was zero F-bombs in that where there should have been nine. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think that that is, I, I do think, especially watching uh, um, and reveling at the Lincoln Project and how successful uh, that, uh, uh, that they are with their hit pieces, you know, having, having the never Trumpers in the Democratic Party as part of the machine, right? Yeah. And again, we're, we do need to really be gentle with each other because we're going to be a big tent and that's a fucking right. thing. Like we're going to have all the, the, uh, the, the AOCs. And I mean, we already had all the fucking mansions. Fuck that guy. But like, you know, we're going to have potentially Justin Amash's and potentially Mitt Romney's uh, as, as part of this coalition. Um, having that, that moxie 
to utterly destroy the Republican Party till it's so small that conservatives feel like they could go back and take it over and not be assholes. Um, yeah. I, it's going to be a net well, positive. And look, you know, I think Rio, you said something the other day about a one party country. Frankly, I don't think it would be. I mean, I think it would be Democrats, majority control. But I think that there's so much to slice up in the Democratic Party that you would still have to have the same level of bridge building and and compromise that we used to have, you know, kind of Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan level compromise. That's where it happens. You know? It happens with when AOC is in uh, uh, um, Pelosi's office. Yeah. That's that's when this, this exactly. uh, uh, you know, uh, sausage making is occurring. Exactly. It's really the only time, right? So yeah. like it's either yeah. that or, or, or whatever. So we're running low on time. Um, moving forward is our gumbo. I like it. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right. Excellent. Um, I also, in the in conjunction with what your um, podcast is about, mm-hmm. I did a tweet today about uh, with an idea. We don't have to talk about it, but if you're into it, I, I I think it makes a lot of sense for what you guys are trying to do with the theme of your podcast. Um, I tweeted that um, one of the ways to reduce acrimony and all the anger on social media would be to uh, utilize the data we provide to social media networks and immediately show people that you're engaging with the commonalities that you have. I find that when I actually am engaging with somebody and I know that we share the same viewpoints on religion or we share the same viewpoints on one aspect of debate um, in politics or issues, but other aspects of it we might be fighting about, that I actually chill out quite a bit in my uh, tone and I'm not as angry. Like when you and I were having our conversation the other day, um, I'm sure there are plenty of topics and issues upon which you and I um, have some disagreement, and I might have been a little more heated in my response to you. But because many of your responses prior to that I was agreeing with, right. um, I didn't get my back up, right? We had an intelligent conversation despite yeah. disagreeing on some things. So anyway, if you want to yeah. talk about it, it's cool, but I think it would be an incredibly useful It's an interesting idea social. we could throw out there. It fits in. Yeah. It is. <laughs>